welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome bookends to another instalment in our debut spotlight series, where we shine the light on the freshest authors and their work. Today we have the absolute pleasure of sharing the airwaves with debut novelist Sarah Marsh to talk all about her book, A Sign of Her Own an empowering story of a young woman's journey to accepting her deaf identity, exploring the hidden history of the deaf community and finding your own authentic voice. Sarah Marsh is a writer based in London. She was shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish Prize in 2019 and was selected for the London Library Emerging Writers Programme in 2020. Her debut novel, A Sign of Her Own, is out now and published by Tinder Press. We are so happy to have Sarah here today. Welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you so much for having me. It's, um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. And so, Sarah, we always love to start our podcast by asking our favourite question, which is what are you currently reading? Well, I just finished Pod by Laileen Hall, um, which oh, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. But I was particularly fascinated by how she created the whole sort of acoustic world of the ocean, which was very interesting. I really want to read that. I think you've got it, haven't you, Lydia? I have, yeah, because it was it was nominated for the Women's Fiction Prize last year. So yeah. really excited about it. And uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that I keep meaning to get to, but I haven't yet. <laughs> It's really brilliant. I'm excited. Um, So we like to start our debut spotlight episodes by asking authors what their experience has been like in having their debut published. Could you tell us about what your experience has been like? Yeah, I think uh, on the whole, it's been uh, been an amazing experience, but it's definitely definitely up and down. I think there's long spells in which not much happens and then suddenly lots of things happening and then it's um, a bit quiet again. I, I did a lot of structural edits after getting a book deal so it was really interesting to be sort of deep back in that process again but knowing that this really is the final thing you're creating and then there's this sort of transformation process of the book becoming an object um with the jacket cover which you know it's amazing to see and we we, we changed the title of, of the book and that was interesting sort of while I was sort of doing the editing and sort of really distilling what the sort of the essence of the book is and coming up with that title but yeah, I'm not sure anything gets you ready really for the reality of it going out there and sort of reading <laughs> it. And I think it's wonderful hearing people's reactions, but I think I'm still learning to think of the book as something separate from myself, which I think you do have to do. So, so yeah, that's that's where I am now. Absolutely. And I saw on Twitter last night the display at Goldsboro Books, and it was beautiful. How did that feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was completely overwhelming when you turn up and there's not just one, but many copies of, of your book <laughs> in the window. Um, and my kids were there as well, so they were very impressed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was, it was very overwhelming. It was a, it was a great night, but I really enjoyed, enjoyed sort of that first moment of it, you know, really going out in the world. That's oh, incredible. fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Now, we both love the book, so we'd love to start talking about that. My first question really is um, about one of the characters in the book. So many of us are familiar with Alexander Graham Bell and uh, the invention of the telephone, but I was not aware at all of his work with deaf people. You write this character so vividly. What was it like researching and bringing him back to life? So I read lots, I mean, I started writing the story. I started writing about Belle because I'd sort of grown up deaf myself. And so 
I came across this perspective, but you're right, not many people know about it and was shocked and fascinated, but it, it sort of isn't, isn't more known about. So I started looking at all the biographies of Bell and I, and sort of the story was starting to form, but I was interested in the period of his life when he was quite young, he's in his late twenties, he's not yet famous, and but he's already somebody who's a very sort of commanding figure, quite hot-headed and excitable and extremely ambitious. And so I wanted to get his character, but I think what really mattered to me was the relationship he had with his deaf pupils, because his ideas about deaf education became very influential. Um, mm. He campaigned strongly for oralism, the movement of oralism. And so I was really interested in what his students felt about him. And I think because I think deaf and disabled people can often take on the narratives that society creates for them, and especially at that time in the late 19th century, so I was interested in the kind of sway he might have over them, his pupils, and how they could sort of break through from that. So for me, it was about getting that relationship, and I, so I needed the relationship to feel complex and, you know, fully dimensional. So that, yeah, so that, that was really the focus. But I think it's interesting writing about someone so famous because so much else had been written about him. So I felt mm-hmm. freer to be able to take that sort of view of his students because that's the one account that we don't have. Yeah, you could tell it was very well researched. And as Lydia said, it was so great to to read about, or maybe not so great to read about the work that he did with deaf people, uh, but very interesting and a great learning experience. And I also think that this book gives an incredible insight to hearing readers about the ways in which deaf and hard of hearing people have to navigate daily interactions with hearing people. I felt particularly struck by the first conversation that we witness Ellen have with her fiancé and Mr Bell and how she tries to figure out the atmosphere in the room, the shame she feels when she misunderstands the words they're using, the tension, you know, waiting for a fiancé to write down what was being said. Uh, Why was it important to you to represent these details in communication? So I think... Often for deaf people, I mean, communication is an issue that comes up time and time and time again. And it, it's a practical issue because it's one that you have to, you know, deal with. It's a constant barrier and you have to ask people to repeat themselves. You have to plan for every meeting and appointment, sort of the interpreter or getting the captions to work. Or you have to, um, or finding captions showing at the theatre and booking the access seat. So there's, there's always so much extra work and planning. And I think there tends to be this emphasis on, you know, deaf people not understanding but actually I think deaf people are really good at adapting their communication and you know we're always having to work hard to get our access needs met so I mean it's a burden in a way but it's also a source of resourcefulness but I think I really wanted to capture that you know through the detail you mentioned in the novel as an aspect of the experience but for readers to hopefully really appreciate that aspect as well. I definitely appreciated it and it gave me such a bigger understanding of what that experience is like because you wrote mm-hmm. it in such a visceral way. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> Definitely. And you mentioned there a little bit about going. You know, when you go to the cinema and and you need to find out uh, captions and whatnot. We have uh, noticed an upsurge in the amount of films, TV, and other media that have highlighted deafness, and that's also the prospect of. Um, there's also the prospect of British Sign Language being introduced as a GCSE. I think it's in like 2025. 
what do you think Ellen would think of the experiences of modern members of the deaf community? I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's great news about the BFLGCSE and it's uh, another example of just really the hard campaigning that, that the deaf community has done for, you know, BFL to, you know, be recognised as language and included. And deaf representation in mainstream media is starting to improve, like you said, yes, with those ailing lists and we saw Tasha Thun in Great British Bake Off and, and some of the films coming out at the moment. And Ellen is the main character in the book and I think she's like one of Bell's deaf pupils and I I think she would be pleased to see that so many deaf people are openly proud of being deaf and feel it's part of their identity. I mean, that I think is, is you know changed a lot since uh, you know her, when I was writing about her in the 150 years ago. I think she would be pleased and amazed to learn that sign language has had since the 60s also been understood by linguistic experts to be full languages on par with spoken languages. I think in the 19th century and the early 20th century, sign languages sign languages just weren't recognised in that way. Um, and actually after Bell and the movement of oralism took root, and I really wrote this story at a turning point in history when oralism really was starting to pick up speed, um, an attitude towards sign language became incredibly negative, and I think it's hard to overstate just how negative. You know, they were banned in schools for most instance, um, so lots of deaf people didn't have access to, you know, their own language. And, you know, I think Ellen would be very pleased to see where, where we are now, but it's across a big sort of chasm of history, um, you know, from when I wrote that story and, and you know, the attitude uh, that have developed since in the 20th century. Totally. And I wanted to actually speak about one of my favourite relationships in the book, and that is um, between Ellen and Frank. And that really showed me the importance of the deaf community, finding members of the deaf community and being able to share their own language. It was so beautiful to witness their kinship unfold and I was really rooting for them. What was it like to create their dynamic? I'm really enjoyed, I'm really, really glad you enjoyed that um, relationship because I, I did, I loved writing about them and, you know, I still feel sad not to be on the page and sometimes <laughs> writing, writing, writing about them. But I was actually first a little cautious about creating a, a romance because I think it's really, it's really hard to do well. But, but because, you know, this is a book about the telephone and communication and I was always wanting to probe that idea of connection and I wanted Ellen to discover what, meaningful connection was for her rather than having to sort of patch up faulty ones all the time a bit like Belle was doing with the telephone in the early days and I really like your word kinship I think I've experienced that myself with my deaf friends and family um, I have some deaf family members uh, and that sense of kinship that comes from sort of sharing a particular experience that mm-hmm. most people don't have and so I, I wanted to capture that between Ellen and Frank and it was hard to do at times because they use sign language um, and it's a challenge to write sign languages on the page because they're visual spatial languages. So I think that was one of the challenges of the book, but it was coming back to the idea of kinship and that sort of spark of connection that I guess is a theme throughout the book, really. But yeah. Yeah, it was it was really beautiful, but I understand that it must have been difficult to to recreate, like you said, the the visuals of that. And I'm always talking on the podcast about adaptations of work. Would you ever like to see your book adapted? Oh, I mean, it would be amazing. It's absolutely amazing because I think, you know, there's so much incredible theatre. I mean, films as well, but there's always been, I mean, I think, you know, the deaf community have a long history of theatre. 
um and so you know and that's the natural medium for, for uh, you know especially fine language for fine languages you know so you can see it um maybe obvious but uh so yeah it would be wonderful to have an adaptation where the language you know where it's visual yeah. yes of course yeah Amazing. Um, can I ask, because it always interests me, uh, what your literary influences are? Uh, they're, they're quite varied. I mean, I've read there's lots of historical fiction writers like Sebastian Barry, um, who write those sort of, that, that I really, really love. I love the writer Marilyn Robinson, quite different from this, but um, she, she's always a sort of source of wisdom that I, I go back to. Uh, lots of deaf authors, so Zara Novick in the States, who wrote True Biz, Raymond Antrobus, poet in this country, who's written about deafness and poetry in his first collection, The Perseverance. I mean, they were really encouraging for me because it was, you know, I, I've been writing this book for a very long time, actually, and I think uh, it, it was hard not to look around and, and not have any other, that many examples of, of deaf characters in, in fiction or in any literature, and I think Finding those books, um, a couple of other ones as well, was really, really important in in, uh, in writing this one for me. Thank you for those. I'm going to add them to my wish list immediately. The last question that we like to finish episodes on is asking if you have any recommendations for us. So that can be anything from TV, film, podcasts, books... I I actually was I did want to recommend so I have actually going back to the first question I have actually been working on an article about um books by deaf authors and uh, I was revisiting the work of Louise Stern who wrote um two books around ten years ago and she's a, a native sign language user and just writes so beautifully about the physicality um and the way in which she sort of navigates a hearing world so um yeah I was revisiting that and wanted to mention it because it I think I think her work is brilliant. I went to see a caption performance of The Witches at the National Theatre yesterday with my daughter, which I thought was great. Um, I really enjoyed that too. Amazing. Thank you. I also want to ask what you've got coming up next, if we're allowed to know. <laughs> oh, um, do you mean sort of events-wise or, oh, or writing Yeah, or... Uh, anything, anything. I've got some festivals I'm really looking forward to so I think um and I'm quite new to this I've not done much uh, many events and you know in my first book uh so I'm looking forward to to those um and yeah and I am sort of just trying to create a bit of space to sort of focus on a on on the second book as well so it's about balancing those two things very exciting (laughs) (laughs) I will pop links in the show notes of this episode of any events that I can find that you've got coming up and I will also pop a link in the show notes for the article that you mentioned that you've written yes yes um, I'll check they're not out yet but yes um oh perfect okay I'm excited um so thank you so much Sarah for for coming on a pair of bookends and joining us today is there anywhere that our listeners can find you on social media uh, yeah I'm on I'm on Twitter uh, and Instagram amazing I can do that yeah perfect thank you and if you'd like to follow us on social media you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok and sarah thank you so much once again for joining us it's been such a treat to get to talk to you and to read your wonderful debut novel a sign of her own which is out now (laughs) thank you thank you very much